0: In this episode, we dive into the backstory of Mac Bishop's founding journey of Woolen Prince and how it ties back to discipline and disruption. You are listening to the Fifth Hammer Growth Podcast, where we help you find harmony in imperfection as you journey towards success in life and in business. is the feature of today's conversation and founded by mac bishop who and this is how he stumped, how, how it started six generations of his family have worked with pendleton that's so its
1: company. company that's his family's his company. family's
0: company is pendleton. pendleton and woolen uh okay. whatever but the pendleton brand that you know for flannel that's iconic that was in, I think started in the 1800s. His family has worked for six generations in that company. They have, fa- they have family two, owned. Yeah. His dad, his floor. uncles, his, everyone's worked in that company.
1: They have two wool mills in Washington, Oregon. And their brand is designed for the outdoor, the cowboy, the hiker. The, the, the hiker. camper. Yeah. It's all like print flannel, like native prints. It's super, it's super Western mm-hmm. wear. But I mean, They're, they're like, you go to the store and you see, they're, they're high quality, high end. They've been around. I'm surprised you don't have one. You've kind of had some, uh, I know you would seriously
2: love Pendleton clothes. And I I might, I've got straight up lumberjack flannels. Exactly. I know you do. That red and black one that Uh you wear
1: for a hundred (laughs) days. I don't know why you're worried about the challenge, dude. You already do it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
2: dude, that and a pair of boots for 100 days.
0: But so he comes from that, right? That's his background. That's what he grew up in. He's like, dinner time, family conversations. Like, he's like, I already knew all about wool.
2: It's funny because he
1: even used, I know wool speak. Like, right. I heard him on yeah. an interview and he's like, Yeah, I already use wool speak. I knew the language. I knew textiles is my family's legacy. I know this industry.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So but then he goes to college. Yeah.
0: Um, leaves college in New York, right? So, so he went to Cornell. Oregon-based, yeah, went to college, gets a degree. First job is with Unilever in oh, the CPG world. Damn. Right? Yeah. In New York, he's wearing business cal- casual. Well,
1: and, he, and, and the uniform, I mean, it's funny because he called it the uniform. Yeah. The uniform is button up shirt, dress, casual, business casual, button up shirt. Yeah. He's like, but they're solid. He's like, solid colors. Pendleton doesn't make a solid color or anything. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, and it's absolutely crazy because he's like, I would wear it for two days and it had to be washed.
0: Yeah. And so his, his dry cleaning and washing goes up, right? Expenses go up. He's a poor college kid. He's kind of getting burnt out of the corporate Unilever life. He's like, what's going on? So that was the, the background set the stage, right. To have the unique skill set of then the aha experience of, Hey, he just started wearing his his Pendleton vintage stuff to work. Cause he's like, I don't care anymore. I, I don't really want to keep this job. I don't care what they think anymore. And he started getting compliments on it. He started like getting like feedback from people and he could, then that was the idea. Like, but, but huh. it was, it was also kind of against the grain because he's like, screw it.
1: I don't care if I don't, I, he's like, look, he, 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 he liked the job. It was a good job. But his biggest problem was that he didn't want to pay for freaking dry cleaning anymore. Right. Right. the problem okay problem, that's what i was looking for yeah problem yeah. i don't want to pay for dry cleaning. too expensive for dry cleaning in yeah. new york in new york so he's like i need to wear a shirt that i can wear multiple days so he went back to his freaking pendleton family he got like the most conservative which was still print yeah. shirt. he started wearing it and people were making fun of him he's like dude you wore that shirt yesterday he's like yeah i only have one shirt He's like, you wore that shirt yesterday. I only have one shirt. You've been wearing that shirt for like ten days. He's like, yeah, I only have one shirt, because he didn't want to wash. He didn't want to spend the money on dry cleaning. And then as he was wearing, he's like, it doesn't smell. It holds up. It's a good shirt. I mean, if it can, if it can, if it can handle the outdoor rigors, if wool can handle right. the outdoor rigors of camping and hiking and being outdoors and wearing the same shirt for ten days in the mountains without it stinking, it can handle New York City. So he's figuring if 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 wool, if these wool shirts can handle the outdoor rigors of camping, hiking, being in the mountain first 10 days without washing it, not stinking, it can handle New York City. And so that's what he did. He's like, I got an idea. Here's a need. Yep. It's Big Well. It's Big Will all over. You know Big Will? You know no. who Big Will is? Mm, no. Oh my gosh, dude. The, the the cartoon Robin Williams robots, Big Will was like see a need, fill a need. That's where it comes from. Really? Yeah. So he was like some movie? The movie, yeah, it's a movie, Robots, Robin Williams. Oh, I know that. Where he's all the freaking Tinker dude? Yes. Right? Bigwell, see a need, feel a need. He saw a problem
2: and he had a solution. Did he validate the problem or was it just he is his problem and he just assumed it was his others problem. had the problem? And he assumed others had the it problem. It started
0: it started with his problem, right? Yes. And then and then he more used this 100 days challenge as a, as a marketing campaign to kind of kickstart. Well,
1: even before that, dude, he went back to his family. He's like, right. hey, mom and dad, hey, family, let's do a conservative wool shirt for, for, business a, n- for a new professional business professional. And that was the disruption. And they're like, no, man, we're not going to do that. No, that's a dumb idea.
0: <laughs> and he's like, oh, wait he a He even second. went to like the urban, like more like – um, aggressive like department in Pendleton to kind of pitch them the idea. And they're like, no, no, nah, he's like, we're not
1: business casual.
0: That's not who we are. We're Pendleton. We're farmers. We're cowboys. We're freaking backpackers.
1: Yeah, right. So yeah. that, that's not our market. Yeah. they're not So he's like, hard. but there's a market here.
0: We could do this. Yeah.
1: And so he, he's like, all right, well I'll do it myself. And so he got a design, he tailored, he took a Pendleton shirt, the least, the most conservative Pendleton shirt they had and tailored it to fit business casual. And you know, uh, yeah. so it's a slim fit, right? Yeah, it's a little, it's slimmer. not the typical, like baggy, you know, you know, like the lumberjack shirts that you wear. <laughs> right? yeah. And, oh. and he's like, and so he put things out there and he's like, but nobody would take him serious. And I love the story because how many, how many of these disruption concepts that we've talked about where people won't take him serious? Right. First met with rejection. First right. met with rejection. Yeah. And so he's like, how do I prove it? Yeah, And that's where he came up with the idea of he wore, he put that shirt on and he wore it for hundred days. It wasn't even a challenge at
0: that point. No, no. That's how the challenge was born. <clears throat> he
1: would just, he put it on for a hundred days, but he
0: did take a selfie. He would take a picture with friends or he would take a picture by himself for a hundred days. And
1: then he would walk around the streets of New York, stop people and say,
2: Hey, what do you think of this shirt? Smell my shirt. I have seen a picture of like a reporter, like smelling his armpit. And yeah, I was like, yeah. well, what are you doing? Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. So he's like, Hey, smell my shirt. I've worn this shirt for a hundred days.
1: They're like, no, you have it. They smell it. They're like, you haven't done that. He's like, no, absolutely. And go take a look at my social. There's proof every day. It's a new picture, hundred days of me wearing this shirt. And they're like, that's crazy. And so that went viral. And, and from that
0: idea, he started a Kickstarter campaign and this was back in 2013. Yeah. This was 11 years ago,
2: dude, you and I were just talking this morning and sometimes I think I hate marketing. Sure. I'm a chief marketing officer. Okay. And I and I just want to give that context. And I think I hate marketing. And I think the reason why, just listening to this story, is oftentimes, and probably more more times than not, this contrived like marketing stunts that we try to create just fall short because they're disconnected mm-hmm. and they're not they're not genuine. Mm-hmm. This is a case like so. When I was thinking on the way in, I was I was thinking like, where did this hundred day challenge come from? It came out of necessity. Yeah. And then he just documented it, right? He created in real life. He
0: had a personal problem. He solved that problem, right? Yeah. He documented and captured that. He validated. Hey, are other people going to have this same problem and is des- you know desire to solve it? And the product, m- the benefits match, like this market that needs it that just has never been
2: penetrated. Yes, right.
0: But isn't that isn't that the spark
2: of every freaking successful business solving a personal problem solving a personal problem it is a and lot the, and of times yeah yeah it is and that's what frustrates me so much about people that think you can just slap on an idea and grow a company it's oftentimes disconnected from the real problem right. because there's no story yeah well the, the problem well, is what it makes f- the story real right
0: and then when faced with rejection right if it's not rooted enough in your own problem that you actually care enough to solve or in a bigger mission, then typically those are the companies that don't, that don't make it. You you don't have the drive to keep, to move past. You know, we see, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was just thinking like
2: we oftentimes I just get really down, like where's the next big idea going to come from? And as I'm listening, we're talking through these stories you think that there are these random epiphany ideas, but they're, if you like scope out and look at the entire journey that the person goes through, it's often rooted in something that they had already, they had experienced mm. in the past. And this journey had these like connected points that lead them to the epiphany. So in this case, like I was like, I was looking at woolen and prints. I'm like, where the hell would you think of a, a wool shirt? But he grew up, he grew up around in- it. Yeah. It was, you
0: know, reigned in his Fiber. Yeah. Which <laughs>
2: leads to some level of belief that it's possible. Yeah. I was just, and I was just listening to you guys talk. And I was thinking when I first told my mom, I wanted to, I was coming out of college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was just going to go play music. And I told her what I was going to go do. And the name of my band, she goes, I hate it. And that strengthened my resolve. And when I look back at what my life was leading up to that i had a lot of music in my life that made it you know and some it's entrepreneurship possible. that made me feel like it was possible to make it happen it wasn't like i just stepped out one day and grabbed a guitar and was like i'm gonna go hit the road there was actually a that was part of my life yeah. just like this was with him just like liquid death was yeah at the same time go but ahead what
1: why did what why'd you go into your like your southern accent oh go hit the road <laughs> is that your freaking music picture me, there?
2: picture me with a lumberjack shirt <laughs> on and a pair of boots you know
1: but that's what I love about the story and, and others that we've, that we've reviewed, because it comes down to what we've identified as a successful endeavor or something that we can, we can come in and work on, look at the projects that we've done and that we're doing. An owner influencer, right? That has a story. And, and yeah, we've, we're focusing, niching down right into consumer health supplements because that's kind of where our background has been, but it's the same thing. If you can have an owner influencer that can drive the story and you can leverage that and, and, and really help that grow, you're going to, you're going to have a better opportunity Chance. of yeah. success. Yeah. In there because the story can connect with people. Connecting with people, connecting your product and your story with buyers is the greatest motivator for purchase
0: and then backing it up with a product that actually does what you say it does. That works. Right? Whether you're talking apparel, you're talking beverages, you're talking supplements, right? Like that's a critical piece to this. And and that's what he then was able to do. He knew Merino wool would hold up. Because he had lived it, right? Um, it's interesting in this in his journey. I mean, it's eleven years. There's not a lot out on Wool of Prince. If you Google Woolen Prince, if you YouTube Woolen Prince, there's not a lot out there. There's not a lot of media coverage, there's not a lot of papers. Um there's like a
1: podcast that I found. That was a wool industry talk
2: podcast Good. that
1: he was interviewed on
2: snooze fest, I bet.
1: And no, well, it was great because it was, him, kidding. Right? Yeah. It, but, but it's like, really, there's a wool talk. It's like the wool talk podcast.
2: Yeah, I would love to see who's listening to the wool industry. podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's
1: one of those where it's like, but he was in and he kind of disrupted. And that's what, I, and, and you think about the concept of fifth hammer that, that we talked about over and over. He, there was a disruption in an industry that he took it. He didn't change. He didn't invent a wool shirt. He didn't, right. in, he just right. applied it to an entirely new community, but he had the discipline to do it. And he had the discipline dude wearing a shirt for a hundred days straight takes and discipline. taking a picture and
0: taking picture. Right. Takes I'm discipline. even thinking like, man, do I have the discipline enough to do that challenge? Cause like, I, it sounds kind of cool. Like I'm totally bought in. So here's one another fascinating thing that I loved about this story Right, he does the hundred day thing himself. He turns that into a Kickstarter video, launches on Kickstarter. You know, this is when Kickstarter was pretty new too. Um, he, you know, he did three thousand shirts in ten days. Yeah, far ex- and this was his words far exceeded what I expected. Right. What's another interesting thing about some of these stories is, you know, so many entrepreneurs and business people are out there. We overestimate what we think we're going to do, right? And, and a lot of these stories, they underestimated. The successful ones. The success. The successful right? ones kind of underestimate. They, they ne- Liquid Debt didn't think it was going to be as big as it was, right? right? Mac Bishop didn't think it was going to go he- as big as it did. And in fact, this was what was really interesting to me. Is like at the time in Kickstarter culture, if you oversold your campaign too much, you ran into delivery issues and supply chain issues. And then you actually ruined your brand out the gate and a lot of these never even got off the road one because they couldn't deliver but then they just pissed off everyone that they that bought that they pre-ordered to yeah. because they took too long to or never could get out the door and then they crumbled before they started and he said so they intentionally shut the campaign off right as it was ramping who has the discipline to do that oh good point I, we sure as hell wouldn't We'd like yeah. let's keep selling Let's yeah, sell through just we'll keep selling it when it's stocked out right yeah. like but, so it's the disruptive nature of a unique positioning to a new market, old product, right, with a new differentiation into a new market segment, that's the that's the disruption, right? But because there was a wool industry that was established by Pendleton, right? That was the decades of discipline that happened even before Mac Bishop even came around,
1: yeah, right? Yeah,
0: The decades of a taxi industry that existed that created new problems. That allowed Uber to come the, and disrupt.
1: disrupt decades, right? the centuries. Sure. <laughs> right. The yeah. centuries of a wool, ind- a tactile industry, the wool industry that ha- that have been around. I mean, laid the foundation for him to be able to say, hmm, can I apply this to a new market? Yeah. Right? Solve a problem. And, and the cool thing is, is, is he didn't just want to apply it to a new market. He had a problem to solve
2: that this could accomplish, you know, I'd almost say in the, in the book and the draft that, that we've got going now, the, this chapter, I think mm-hmm. this chapter begins with everything is marketing. I would almost change it to everything is positioning. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I've, I'm just on this horse right now of, of positioning and we've been there for a few, I guess a few for years a now, but, uh, and it's, it's always something I took for granted in marketing and I would do, and I didn't realize I was doing, but I've just really, Couple of things have become really apparent to me in the last few ventures. One is, it always takes longer than they say it has. You always hear the stories. It's in my Twitter bio right now: five to fifty million in eighteen months. That isn't really what happened. You know, it took like what, like five, six, seven years, maybe even more than that. And then this guy, you know, when you're when you're reading the success story, it you may just read like the two years where it really popped off. It took him eleven. And then, really, there was years there that aren't even reported where he was he, he was witnessing Pendleton and right. the wool industry, right. you know. And the second one is positioning: how you situate yourself into the mind of your ideal customer. And it's literally just taking something that was this way and moving it this way. There's a when we were in Austin uh, back in June or July, whenever we. And we went yeah, and it was, ate at Perry's, it yeah, steakhouse. Yeah, he ordered a pork chop. Okay, do you know what it was? It was a big slab of ribs. I freaking hate pork chops. It was a big slab of ribs that was cut into a pork chop. Yeah, but it was they called it a pork chop. They repositioned it as a pork chop, so now everybody talks about this pork chop. There's just positioning, <laughs> dude. And,
1: and 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 the funny thing about that is, like, I grew up. My mom, my mom, I love her to death. She is. The worst cook I've ever. <laughs> like she she like you have to realize she she's the child of the depression so she learned how to cook from her mom which was which cooked through the depression so it's reuse 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 like fat it's so when she made pork chops i was like sunday afternoon pork chops i was like crap you'd sit there and you chew on it nine 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 so I don't like ordering pork chops, but I was told this is the best pork chop. Dude, it came. It was what? Like six inches thick. It was huge. Sitting on the plate with one big old bone sticking out of it. And I was like, okay, that's like it, it It had the chopped meat with the rib meat and everything in it. It was good. It was really, really good. But you're right. It's, it's repositioning, mm-hmm. rebranding, re- retelling the story of what a pork chop should be. Yeah. Cause that's not my mom's pork chop. Yep. That's not his
2: parents. wool shirt. Well, and the other thing I love that he did was this wasn't, he, he, um, he, out of the necessity of not having the money to go buy a wardrobe, he turned that into a lifestyle of owning less right. to do more of what you want to do.
0: And now the target audience is that yeah. he, he, that the, he's naturally focused on. Yeah. It started with business professionals, but you know what else? Digital nomads, minimalists. Yeah. Right. Yep. Like he actually, even on their website, he has
1: a minimalist wardrobe checklist. So like, this is all you need
0: to be minimal in your wardrobe. And this is why, this is another one, why I'm surprised Will and Prince doesn't have a bigger name out there and, and learning more about the founder, it's kind of becoming a little more evident, but I'm sure you guys heard of the uh, the era of decision fatigue around picking out your wardrobe and your clothes for the day and right Mark Zuckerberg talked about this and other big entrepreneurs it's have talked jobs yeah. you know Warren Buffett they wear the same thing every day so they don't even have to think right well that's this was part of his target audience too like those that want to minimalize their wardrobe and only have a handful of shirts they can trust that they're going to be durable right they're not going to have to deal with all those other side effects with it the same right? fit And, and, and one of the, one of the side effects or the benefits is this, you eliminate decision fatigue. Yeah. I'm like, man, again, that's another way to position the same thing, but to a different market. Yeah. Are you a high achieving entrepreneur that doesn't want to deal with decision fatigue? Well, here you go. Well, well, and
2: the, the challenge leads you to the realization that this is really like a nice lifestyle that I might enjoy. When you were saying earlier, you don't know if you'd have the discipline to do the challenge. I almost said, well, you, you have to connect with the minimalist lifestyle to really see the benefit in it. Yeah. Um, it becomes maybe. part
0: of who you, your identity. Yeah. In
2: that. Which is interesting. Cause I don't see myself as a minimalist,
1: but dude, I have like one or two brands that I freaking wear. Like I wear billabong shirts and I buy like 30 of them just because they're all the same. They're different colors. Yeah. They're all, but I can put any one of my freaking, and I just went through a shirt refresh <laughs> that I do annually, but I, I but it. it was great because I went from a, uh, I went from an extra large to a large cause I've been losing weight. And, and so I, I had, I, all my extra large are gone and I holes but they're all the same. They're different colors. They're different things, but you'll notice they're all the same shirt. They feel the same. They're, they, the textiles the same. They fit the same. I could buy the same. I can buy the same shirt in four different, five different s- designs and it feels the same. So no yeah. matter what I wear, it's the same shirt. And well, it's that same concept that that minimalist idea. And I loved how
2: he embraced that community in his marketing and his branding. I will say you're, you may not be minimalist, but you, you do believe in simplifying the complex so that we can spend our time working on the real problems. Yeah. And, uh, if that wardrobe just allows you to sort of jump into that suit and get going fast for the day, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. but But that's what he
1: did. He embraced the community. Right? We've talked a lot recently just about the impact of community on marketing and how finding the right community can can jettison your brand or jettison your product or, and increase revenue, uh, um, attach your customer volume and just skyrocket it. Um, but he embraced a community that had a need and, and, and people and it's, and it's working yeah. for them.
0: the last thing I kind of want to note on this, that shows another <clears throat> tie back to disruption and discipline is that early on, like two years into the, into the business, he started a founder's blog and would provide founder updates. And the first time I heard about this was from Nathan Berry, founder of ConvertKit, right? That And now it's a huge, big, you know, creator economy movement of building public right? But that's essentially what he was doing back, you know, in 2015. And he, and it was born out of the need. He moved from New York city back to Oregon. And he had a bunch of people he was trying to still stay connected with. And it started out as an email to 30, 50 friends. And he had this idea of like, well, what if I just start publishing this and create a really cool conversation with more than just my immediate people, but, and so, and it was just emerging. This was kind of a disruptive thing starting at that time of this transparency of who's behind the businesses, right. Of kind of building in public, this was pre that era, but the, really the foundation of it. And so that was something very disruptive that he did. It wasn't like monumental, like game changing, but it was different. Mm -hmm. Right. And then he had the discipline to keep doing it. Right. And if you look back, I think they've only published you know back to 2019 now, but you know once to on a quarterly basis, you know one to four times a year, he pro- provides these founders update and it showcases you know company highlights, personal highlights, what's up and coming in terms of product. and then his philosophy is kind of an owner. Right? he talks about really unique things, non-coercive marketing, reactive hiring, and kind of his thoughts and how he's built this business. And so I think that that was a really cool tie back to disruptive, like emerging in that building public, um, movement, but then having the discipline to actually still do it for 10, you know, almost 10 years. Did, uh, how deep did he go? Did he share financials? I didn't see a lot on financials. Mm -hmm. No. Um, but just more about kind of his philosophy and his approach and, um, what's coming and things like that just bring so, like
2: building trust bring showing yeah. you know yeah. and that
0: brings clarity humanizing of humanizing the yeah. brand too like his yeah. personal kind of journey and things there that's cool but
1: yeah it's it's a it's a good story um and it fits it fits in the overall scheme of things of how you need both you need discipline you need discipline to to bring your ideas to to fruition but you need that disruption to be able to take the stab. i mean his his family's like no we're not going to do that and he still led with it and he figured out a way he was disruptive in the sense to accomplish what he, and had the discipline to do it.
0: Yeah. And uh, I, it, to me, it was also a callback to our earlier conversation on <clears throat> what's it take to be successful, right? Product market or team, and ultimately landing on expectations, yeah. right? These other three matter, but if you look at Will and Prince's journey over the last 11 years There's not a lot of public information about how successful they are in terms of financials, right, or in terms of those numbers. Um, He didn't go raise a bunch of money. You know, it's a privately held, you know, at least to what's public, right? Like there's not a lot of information out there. But you, you start learning about who he is as a founder and you see his expectations were very different. He wasn't trying to become this overnight success, and his in his philosophy isn't he doesn't do promotions and discounts because he doesn't want to create this roller coaster effect to his um, to his business. And so, his expectation as an owner and what success looks like probably founded in Pendleton. How long was Pendleton around? How long did it take them? Right, it was very different into how he approached business right. And how he approached this opportunity. I'm glad, so I'm glad you brought that up again. Cause I was just
2: thinking of the quote from founder of liquid death around disruption. Isn't just having a square, uh, bottle when everybody else has a, you know, round a, a round one. And I'm thinking this is actually kind of that example. I mean, all he did was just change the pattern and then reposition it to a different yeah uh, customer avatar. Um, but his expectation was he, he wasn't necessarily trying to disrupt and do something crazy he was just trying to fill a need yep the other conversation that that came to my
1: mind as we're as we're going through this is remember when you talked about hiking mount Bora, Mm -hmm. the forced action Mm. yeah right he he wanted this to succeed so that forced action of wearing that shirt a hundred days that forced action of of going out and stepping out of your comfort zone and saying, hey, smell my shirt. (laughs) You know, there was forced action that was necessary in order for him to create the story behind what he was doing. And I love that concept of taking forced action, right? You've got, I mean, you've got to do it. If, If you don't do it, if you don't have the discipline to do it, you'll never do it.